Welcome to the Relaunch Your Career podcast. I'm your host, Leah Lambert, career and interview coach and founder of Relaunch Me, where we help you find the work that you were meant to do. Today, I'm interviewing Alana Ball, who has had a decade of experience working in health and safety across a number of different industries. I really wanted to get Alana on the podcast to get an inside perspective into this field of work, but mostly to understand the fantastic work that she does as the founder and CEO of the Women in Safety Networking Group. Welcome to the podcast, Alana, and thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. I'm really excited. So what I might ask you to do is if we can start off by talking about how you came to start your career working in the field of health and safety. Yeah, so it was actually an interesting journey. Uh, I grew up in Gladstone in central Queensland, and I was working in uh, the HR space, so studying HR, working in HR, recruitment, that kind of thing. Now, growing up in Gladstone, you're surrounded by uh, heavy industry. You know, my dad was working in industry. My brother started working in, in industry. And I guess I started to see that my career in HR wasn't necessarily impacting people the way I thought it was. Uh, and I started to look at other avenues, thinking, you know, I feel like I could help people more in their careers. Saw the safety side as, as really coming into uh, helping people get home safe and being home with their families. And for me, you know, family is such a big part of my life. I wanted to make sure that my brother who was getting injured at work, that he actually could go home safely. So I kind of did a little bit of a hop, skip and a jump um, and was very fortunate to have picked up a role quite early in that um, and just started studying health and safety at uni and networking with people in that space and picked up my first role to work in it. So it really came from a position of, um, I guess, a need to want to help people more. And, I mean, it's a fantastic way of doing that. I've worked with uh, WorkSafe several times in the past and I can just say, you know, the people that I've worked with there, some of them have worked there for 30 years doing, you know, I guess what we would call really highly admin-focused roles, but because they know that they are contributing to getting people home safely and their values align, they're just so uh, committed to their to their role there. So over the last decade, you've worked in a number of roles and a number of industries, starting working in the mining company. Uh, can you give us an understanding of the type of work you would do in a health and safety officer role in the mining industry? Yeah, mining's very much, I guess, a, a sphere in its own with its own pieces of legislation. Um, it's very much, I guess, mining kind of, they are far more advanced, I guess, in their safety journey than some smaller organisations might be. Uh, so for them, it's really risk-based stuff. So it's really looking at the risks that are impacting them on a, on a day-to-day. They also have the aspect of um, productivity and production risks. So they still have to make sure that they're outputting what they said they would to shareholders, to you know stakeholders overseas and whatnot. So uh, it really comes down to um, who they were working with, understanding the risks of their business and then the risks of the tasks. So a lot of the tasks are, I guess, more high risk than, say, 
you know, an office-based role. Uh, so the risks are higher. Therefore, we need to be monitoring them more, understanding them better and what controls can we put in place to make sure that they're safe. So for me, the mining was very much a, a risk-based, know the risks, know what controls it, because if it fails, the reality is you're more likely to kill someone than if a control failed in an administrative kind of uh, setting. So when I picture a health and safety officer working in that field, I'm picturing you, you know, out on site, hard hat, fluoro vest. I mean, what would a typical day look like? Do you spend a lot of your time on site or is there a bit of balance between on site work and office work? And I guess uh, it's going to vary for anyone. Um, I know for myself, a majority of my roles have been more corporate based. So I do more of the, I guess, policy and the strategy that sits behind what happens on site. I have done a lot of site work um, and it is the glamorous world of, of hard hats. Every day is about hair day with those. Um, and fluoro yellow matches nothing. Uh, but in saying that it is going out, for me, I'm very much on the consultation and communication. I don't know all the risks of someone's job, but being able to go in and say, at least have a chat to me about it. Tell me tell me what you're doing. Uh, tell me what things could go wrong in this. Whereas I think some people in safety go out with a, you're doing it wrong. And we've, we've quite often got a bad name or a bad reputation as a profession because of it. Um, my approach is very much more around going and having a chat and understanding what do they see the risks of their job. They know the job. They're the expertise, not me. I've got an expertise in this field and I can help them navigate that, but they're the experts in their field. They know what could go wrong. So let's raise that conversation. Then sometimes it is sitting in the office and analysing the data and analysing, you know, we've had all of these incidents this month. What went wrong? You know, was it a super rainy month? Was it, um, you know, we've said production needs to be met. Everyone was, you know, really busy uh, or leading into Christmas where you kind of get a little bit more complacent. So understanding that data at times can be days, weeks in the office. Writing policies, processes to try and mitigate things is, is quite often um, back in the office in front of the computer. So I think it is a balance. I think it should be a balance for anyone regardless of what site looks like getting out and talking to the people who I guess where the safety matters is more important than sitting behind the computer. Mm, And interesting what you say about the seasonal impact. I hadn't probably ever thought of you know that where people are getting a little bit tired at certain times or maybe even the weather I guess in some of those places you've worked would contribute to more accidents or more risk occurring. In one of my past roles we actually had a look at um days we put up the weather charts or weather data from Bureau of Meteorology and we looked at they track the rain days uh, so particularly in Brisbane so we were looking at that data going do we see more people slipping and tripping on rainy days just out of interest and it was actually no Uh, and we're like so people are paying more attention uh, say stepping onto the sidewalk or stepping onto the sidewalk um, then maybe days that were dry and it was like, this is just run of the mill, you know, get to the bus, get to my car, whatever it might be. So it was interesting to see that weather actually had a different impact on, say, slipping and tripping. Yeah, that, I mean, that is really interesting. You would definitely think there would be more accidents on wet days, wouldn't you? So just to give anyone, I guess, who is perhaps interested in a career in health and safety, an idea of the different types of roles, 
within a bigger organization where there's perhaps quite a large OHS team, what would be some of the different types of roles or levels that might sit within that team? Yeah, so I guess for me, I would start looking at um, not necessarily what roles are available, but there's the Australian Institute of Health and Safety, and they're our, I guess, professional peak body. And they have different levels in there. And I think it's a really great starting point for anyone interested in getting into safety because it lets them see, I guess, a level of professional capability. They've got the certification process. So similar to accountants that they have to certify at certain levels. Uh, So the Australian Institute of Health and Safety have quite similar. At a day-to-day level, you might have a health and safety administrator that might look after setting up the meetings, writing basic communications, um, looking at data. They may pull together some data. Um, They may do reporting. They may help close out hazards or incidents or walk people through it. Then you might have more an advisor uh, where they would start. They're the ones that would be heading out to site and having conversations. They might do some more in-depth incident investigations. They might run you know, risk programs and things like that. And then obviously a health and safety manager. And sometimes you've got people that might sit in between those areas, like coordinators and officers. Um, But for me, I think the Australian Institute of Health and Safety at least gives you a guidance of of the the qualification level. So whether it's a Cert 4, whether it's a degree, whether it's a master's and where you might fit in that process. Um, So it's still early in the adoption stages uh, but I think for anyone looking to get into safety I think it might just help scope that out Um, you know back in the day you could just have an old Huzo certificate and get employed but now I think there's a lot more rigor and a lot more education required given you know at times there's a lot of science behind um, say incidents chemicals you know uh, um, asbestos silica all these things that we're seeing come out so Look, the Institute's a starting point um, and then obviously talking to different uh, training providers of what they can offer and where it might fit them. That's really great advice and I think often going to the industry body is such a good place to start but often people sort of forget that and they immediately jump onto TAFE and university courses looking at websites and courses but the industry body is always the, you know a great place to start as a the first part of your research. And look they've got student um, levels of membership where it's like it's it's not the full, um, I guess, financial outlay, but at least gives you a taste. It gives you uh, entry to a network uh, and lets you have some conversations about where you might fit in this profession. Yeah, great advice. And I assume you, as a, as a student member, you could still join webinars and be involved in learning and training aspects that are offered by the industry. Yeah, definitely. And just being across different news articles that they might bring out or, you know, different ways of thinking that um, the profession is moving towards. Alana, having been in the industry for a decade, what sort of particular skills and attributes in terms of sort of almost personality qualities do you believe are really important to be successful in this field? Yeah, look, I think if you ask 10 different safety professionals, you'll definitely get 10 different answers. Um, But my view very much is, um, for me, it's communication. Um, 
you know, I feel like anyone can apply a risk management framework because we do risk management day to day. Whether we're driving our car to work and we're making the risk assessment whether we should go before that car comes, at our core, we understand risk and consequence. Applying it in a framework just takes the learning. I'm not trying to downplay, I guess, you know, I've got um, a lot of qualifications in this space, but if I had to say, I guess, personal qualities or capabilities, um, I would say communication because it's about reading the room. It's about being able to share a message and get people to come on a journey in safety. It's about getting them to really understand why safety is important because once we start empowering our workforce to understand why it's important and it's not just top-down management-driven, we're going to end up with better outcomes. They feel empowered to do their job. They don't have someone looking over them going, you're doing it wrong, but they also feel comfortable to come and communicate when they don't feel that something's going quite right. So for me, that communication piece, um, I think culture, understanding culture and and human behaviour is really important because, again, you know, I, I foresee that in the future the safety professional is dead, but we've got the opportunity to really coach, mentor, educate our workforce educate our leaders to lead safety. It shouldn't require me to come and tell them how to do safety. It should be part of who they are and what they are. And this is just good business and this is just good practice to be doing it. So for me, leadership, communication, culture, those kind of skills for me all tie into helping the business make better decisions and make them accountable for their own safety, not driven from us as a profession yeah that's interesting another thing I wanted to ask you about is conflict resolution you know I assume that you know when you're going out on site and you have to tell people to change the way that they do things there would be some level of conflict is that a big part of the role or am I just making that sort of perhaps making that up (laughs) No, no, I think <laughs> I think every role is going to be different in that space, right? Uh, and that's where that cultural journey comes into it. Some organisations are down that path and having an open uh, conversation about, you know, is there different ways that we could do this and that being okay to hold those conversations and that it's okay to give feedback and receive feedback that's that cultural journey I guess we all want to go on, but certainly there's we've still got culture present in organisations that it does end in conflict and you don't know me, you don't know my job, you know, you're a tick and flick, you're the policeman. And, look, there's an aspect that at times we have to because there's legislative requirements and there is that de-escalation. But, again, that's where I say that communication piece is so important because if you can understand what your workforce is like and where they fit in that culture to say it's actually okay for me to come to you and say, hey, this isn't quite right, or if you know you've had a conflict with them before or they may retaliate, understanding different ways that you could possibly influence that before it got to the conflict. So, look, it it exists. Um, I think I've been told to um, nick off a few times more than I'd like, but, you know, if someone came and told me how to do my job, I'd probably tell them the exact same thing. So I think it's a little bit, it's okay, wash it off, learn from it, learn how you could maybe do it differently next time 
and know that that person's just trying to get on, do their job. They didn't turn up to be unsafe. They turned up to do their job. They want to go home safely. How do I just help them understand that and maybe see things a bit differently? Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. So Alana, in 2015, you founded the Women in Safety Group. Can you tell us about this group and why you set it up in the first place? Yeah, great question. I think for me, I, as I said, I, I came from HR, you know, the Brisbane HR community was quite small and I could kind of navigate. I knew who I could go to to ask questions. Uh, I'm very much someone who wants to talk things out, learn from as many people as I can. People have faced these challenges before, so why do I have to go through it alone? Then when I moved into safety, I felt like that whole network, that whole support crew had just exited stage right. Um, and I was I was working in an organisation where I felt quite frustrated with the culture. It was uh, very much just shut up, do your job. Uh, you know, we had managing directors that would walk on site that required full PPE and they'd turn up in jeans and a polo shirt and the guys are kind of looking at me going, well, he's not doing it, why should I? So it was really quite challenged um, and I guess it went against my values and I had no one that I could kind of go to and go, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with the conflict resolution? How do I, how do I influence differently in this situation? So I was talking to a recruiter. We heard that the company might have been having a few issues as it was. So what does my next kind of career move look like? And her and I started, I guess, brainstorming this idea of uh, a group that we could come together and discuss this. I thought it would be three of us having a coffee or a wine every couple of months and I could just go, knock, knock, hello, got this problem, help. Um, Turns out I wasn't the only one, I guess, having these frustrations, having these who can I talk to. Uh, we had bodies that were meeting but they didn't feel they fit. Uh, you know, I had a lady come to me that she was on site uh, and there was only a few females on site and there was only one toilet at an entire mine site that had a sanitary bin. So if you had to go to the toilet and the guys saw you going to the other side of site, it all of a sudden became a, you've got your period. And it's just like these conversations can't happen, but they do. And how do I create a safe space for us to raise them, for us to, I guess, empower one another that this is how we could maybe tackle it in the reverse and give people the same space that I was looking for to raise questions, to nut out issues, you know, that, that problem shared is a problem halved kind of thing. So it came very much of, of a personal need. Uh, I'm not backwards in saying that it was very much a personal need, but what I soon learned was it's not just me being told, oh, you're going to bake a cake for us, love. Um, and I'm not saying every industry is like that but that was some of the issues that I was seeing and it turns out I'm not the only one. So, yeah, it was very much founded out of personal but very quickly learned that it's a shared problem. So it started off as three of you having a nice glass of wine. Tell us about what the group looks like today. Yeah, I'm actually quite excited and, and sometimes I wonder 
how did it get to here? So we've got about 1,100 members in Australia and New Zealand. We run networking programs around Australia. Uh, we run some networking programs over in New Zealand. We've got mentoring programs to help navigate, I guess, that, you know, I'm at the start of my journey. I'm facing these issues, I guess, like I did. I don't want someone to face, walk that same path I did when they don't need to. I want them to feel supported, uh, to feel coached, to be able to just go to someone and target these questions. So I set up the mentoring program. We often get asked, we've got a recruitment platform that helps people find the right role for them. Uh, you know, as much as some organisations don't necessarily want to say it, they do at times need a, a female to lead in this space. Uh, so we're approached many times to say, hey, help us find the right person for the right job. So, yeah, it's it's grown quite rapidly, I guess, through very natural channels. Uh, it's not something I've pushed. I've continued to work full time, uh, you know, had a baby. So it's, it's kind of something that I wanted to be organic uh, and, and be led by what the group members want. So very proud of where it is. I don't know where to into the future, but it's certainly growing. And, and I'm so pleased that I've created a space that women feel empowered to raise issues, to have conversations. I think you should be really proud of that. And, it, you know, there's a lot of industries that are probably more male-dominated industries who need more of these networking groups for women to make them feel safe and supported when they're going through a difficult time. So well done. Can people join who are all over Australia? Yeah, look, we have people in the UK and the US, uh, Canada as part of our membership, and that's more just about tapping into different resources. So we're such... You know, I don't think it has to just be a Brisbane-based network anymore. Uh, it's not just about me leading it. It should be that the members are connecting. So we've got a website, uh, which uh, Leah will put in the show notes, but womeninsafety.net, and we just try and make sure that um, we're communicating as much as we, we can. We've got the Facebook group. We've got a LinkedIn group. And all, all I ask that come in you know we, we don't say that men can't join us by any means because I do believe that for us to have a future that we all feel equal um, I'm here to support the women but I encourage men to come and understand the problem so that the problem doesn't exist anymore so we've got a number of men we've got a number of men that are our mentors um, and I guess they're real our male champions in this space so yeah by all means there's plenty of ways to join us different ways that you might feel comfortable connecting. Not everyone loves the formal networking and how you're going. I'd like to think that we don't do any any sales pitch type things because that's not the type of network we are. Uh, so, yeah, I'd love anyone to join because I think it's it's an exciting space to be in. Great. Well, look, I will definitely put those um, that those links in the show notes and also the link to the Australian Institute of Health and Safety, which I think is a great one for people interested in this area. So look, Alana, I just want to say congratulations on the great work you're doing in, in this area. You're very inspiring, particularly I know you've got a young baby. Is that right? Yes, a 15-month-old little terrorist that rules the house at the moment. <laughs> but hard enough having a little one and having a full-time job. But to be, I can only imagine how much time you also invest in the Women in Safety group. So hopefully you can keep that up and get some new members. And it's a fantastic initiative. So Thank you for being on the podcast today. If anyone is interested in reaching out to Alana, then I will be putting her details in the show notes as well. Alana, I wish you all the best for the remainder of the year. Thanks, Leah. I hope you stay safe and 
navigate these different times that we're in. And thanks so much for inviting me. I, I love having a chat and learning uh, different things. They're always great to um, touch base. Great. Well, thanks again and uh, have a great day. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Relaunch Your Career. If you did, please subscribe, share with your friends, leave a review or connect with us on social media at Relaunch Me Career Consulting. If you have any questions about the episode or the work that we do, then contact us via the website relaunchme.com.au. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.